the whole point of the season was to look back to the arrival of the king. But if you follow the liturgical calendar, and liturgy just means like a prescribed order that things go in, there's certain things where on this month or on this week of Advent, you preach about this, and on this week of Advent, you preach about this, and there's kind of a calendar to it. The second week of Advent, uh, which is what we're going to deal with now, uh, believe it or not, I broke tradition. Uh, tradition doesn't do a whole lot for me, so I took things out of order. Um, but the second week of Advent, again, Advent means arrival, is to look forward. To we have a king who's coming back, yes? The second coming of Jesus. The purpose of Advent, the purpose of Christmas, is go, let's look back and refocus on how God came into the world, put on flesh, and made his dwelling among us, the Apostle John says, and let's look forward because he's coming again. Amen? The purpose of Christmas isn't just looking backwards. It's this dual purpose. We live our lives in kind of this tension of what Jesus has already done and what Jesus has promised to do. He came and he modeled, here's how you're to live life. Here's how you're to bring light. Here's how you are to be the people of God. Because don't lose focus. One day I'm coming again. There's a day when Jesus is coming back and there's no more second chances. There's a day when Jesus is coming back and all decisions are made final. And we're to live our lives with that in mind. That day is to inform, is to focus decisions we make today. Does this make sense, church? It is the job of kingdom people, you and I, to usher in the king. You and I are called to be kingdom people. There's a lot of things we call ourselves as Christians. Jesus followers, Christians, like all these different things. We're kingdom people. We talked about this uh, during our spiritual gifts series. We're all called to be involved in kingdom life. Active participants in kingdom life. There is a king. It is not you and it is not me. And we are to be participants in his kingdom. We are members of the kingdom. And it's all about him. It's not about us. Amen? It is the job of kingdom people to usher in the king. And we are kingdom people. So I'm going to kind of build a case for this. I don't just want to throw that out there and have you guys nod and go, okay, cool. I want to look to the scriptures and build a case for this because this needs to become the most important thing in our lives. Hear me, church. More important than happy marriages. More important than kids growing up the way that they should. The kids graduating high school, virgins and non-drinkers and smokers. This takes precedence over all of that. So if I'm going to put this out there, we better understand what we're saying. Agreed? It is the job of kingdom people to usher in the king. This is our primary job as kingdom people. Jesus came to usher in his kingdom. A lot of times if you talk to people and you say, why did Jesus come? Most of them are going to say, if, if they've been in church or whatever, they're going to say, to die on the cross and pay for our sins, right? That's a piece of the puzzle. We've made it the whole puzzle. That is a piece of the puzzle. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could become kingdom people and usher in the king. 
We stop too short sometimes. Jesus didn't come simply to die on the cross. And again, please hear me. There's going to be a couple spots here where you could take it. And I heard this saying lately, and I love it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Sometimes we read into things, and there's some places where you could go, he's saying the cross isn't important. At no point in time here am I trying to detract from the cross or minimize the cross or devalue the cross. What I'm trying to do is bring us to a spot where the power of the cross is enriched. It is actually more valuable. So stick with me. Again, if you hear anything that goes, it sounds like he's saying the cross wasn't a big deal. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus came to usher in his kingdom, not simply die on the cross. Think, what was the message that Jesus gave everywhere he went? What was the most common phrase that Jesus would use? I'm going to ask for some audience participation. Okay, and he said one word before that, typically. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he would say the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he would say the kingdom of God. And some people get real confused. Wait, there's two kingdoms? No, same one. He uses them interchangeably. The most common message that Jesus preached everywhere he went was repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Or at times he would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't just say, hey, you know, one day I'm going to die on the cross and don't forget to pray. He said the kingdom is here. Repent. There's a call to action in there. Most of the parables that Jesus taught, most of the writings we have of Jesus is him teaching in parables, using these stories. And most of those stories start with what? Anybody know? It has kingdom in it. The kingdom of heaven is like. Thank you, Bible quizzer. Most of the teaching that Jesus had started with the kingdom of heaven is like. All of his teaching, all of his message was about the kingdom. There is this kingdom, it's at hand, and there's a call to action, repent. All of his stories had some kind of call to action. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found buried in a field, and he went and sold everything he had to buy that treasure. There was a response. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this great pearl beyond measure. Like, it's, it's invaluable, it's priceless, And a man went and sold everything he had to buy this pearl. This is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is going, it's here, it's at hand, and it demands a response. Everywhere he went, the kingdom of heaven is near. When his disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, how should we pray? How did he start it? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That just means holy, lifted up. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, how should we pray? You should pray that the kingdom come. That just as things are in heaven, the Lord's rule is tangible. When he says do something, it's done. What he wants to happen, happens. The things that he values are valued. The people that he wants raised up are raised up. He says exactly like it happens in heaven... Pray that that happens here. That the kingdom of God comes to earth. And then he goes on to talk about like, how we deal with things. Protect us from temptation. Uh, give us our daily bread. All these things. Like He's saying, look, it's about you living life here on this earth. And the thing that needs to be key 
is it's about being involved, a participator in the kingdom of heaven, ushering in the king, living out the kingdom here on earth. Is this making sense? See, Jesus came preaching kingdom, and we tend to preach cross. Now again, don't, don't jump too far ahead of me. Jesus came teaching that the cross was the beginning. Oftentimes we preach that the cross is the end. As in this, if we can just get someone to pray a prayer that they're a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins, job done, right? They're now part of the kingdom, amen, good luck to you, and we're out. This is the message that often is preached. And what this does is it says, look, here's the minimum entrance requirement. Just believe this. Believe what Jesus did on the cross. Everything after that, optional. Everything after that, the, the super Christians do. The pastors and missionaries, they go extra, but you're just a lay person. So as long as you believe this, you're saved, you're fine. Try not to be wicked, you know what I mean? But you've done the minimum, you're good. What Jesus teaches was the opposite. The cross is the starting line. Even if you wanted to participate in the kingdom, you can't in and of yourself. You are sinful, you are fallen, you are far from God. So Jesus said, I will bridge the gap. My death on the cross is the starting point. I will bridge the gap so that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Now life begins. Now what it means to be a follower of Jesus truly begins. Participate in the kingdom. Be actively involved in the kingdom. We're going to talk about what that looks like here in a few minutes. But we have to get this straight. If you're here this morning and you think, well, I prayed a prayer one time at church camp. You think, yeah, I believe that, you know, what Jesus did on the cross. Two thumbs up. Love it. Good guy. And that's where it ends for you. This is where things get scary. Are you a part of the kingdom? Can you be a part of the kingdom and disobey, disrespect, rebel against the king? No. That's called treason. The penalty for treason in every country is death. We are called to be active participants in the kingdom. Now, here's the thing. This is difficult for a lot of you because some of you feel like this is a bait and switch. When you became a Christian, you were sold a bill of goods that said, just believe what Jesus did for you, pray this prayer, and that's it. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything else. You're set. And so you're in. You put it in your back pocket. You're good, right? And now I'm coming along, and I'm telling you something very, very different. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm sorry that someone, I believe well-meaning, I believe probably misunderstanding, sold you a false bill of goods. Because what we find in Scripture is that's not enough. There has to be a response. There has to be an, an active participation in the kingdom. Nicodemus came to Jesus one day in John chapter 3, and he said, look, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He had heard the teachings, and he went, that sounds good. I like that. What do I have to do? And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We put it as, be born again, the end. That's the whole thing. Pray a prayer, you're born again. Great job. See you in heaven. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's the entrance requirement. Being born again. 
putting your faith in Jesus. Now, follow him. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power, but of action. James says, you're fooling yourselves if you read the word of God and don't do what it says. He says, show me your faith without works. Such a faith is dead. Such a faith doesn't exist. You say you believe, but if we can't point to your life and go, here's how it's transformed you, it's dead. The kingdom of God is about transformation. Think about it in your own life. Look, let's look simply at the last year. Some of you have been Christians maybe not even that long. Some of you have been Christians 40, 50 years. But let's just look at the last year. Have you seen transformation in your life this last year? Not just I believe, but here's how my belief has changed the way that I live has changed my heart, has changed the desires of my heart. If you haven't seen transformation, is the kingdom real to you? Are you really in? And again, I'm not trying to make some like new, okay, so you have to go this far before you're in. It's about trajectory. Am I growing to be more like him in character and priorities? If not, I've stopped being involved in the kingdom. And according to James, I got to be real careful. Because faith without response is no faith at all. We are called to be active participants in the kingdom. This was the message that Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to usher in his kingdom. He died, rose again, and he left. Agreed? So guess what we've been called to do ever since then? The same exact thing. Jesus said, I'm leaving. The reason you're still here is now it's your job to usher in the kingdom. We have to be active participants 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Listen to the transformation language. He doesn't say if anyone's in Christ, they prayed a prayer good for them. They are made new. Not they're made better. They've tried a little harder. They're made into something completely different. Death to life. Not old you to a little shinier, polished up version of new you. New creation, something altogether different. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are a member of the kingdom of heaven, the people of God, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are his mouthpiece. You are to represent him wherever you go and to usher in his kingdom. This is a non-negotiable people. This isn't, again, a, well, just come to church and just read your Bible in the mornings and you're fine. And if you want to get some extra brownie points, don't forget to be an ambassador. This is a non-negotiable. 
If you are going to be a part of the kingdom, you are signing up to be an ambassador, to speak the kingdom of God, to live the kingdom of God before people. If not, you're not an ambassador. You're not in the kingdom. I feel super mean saying this, and I don't mean to be mean. I don't know what else to call what the scripture gives us. Jesus, right before he left, here's his parting words to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He starts by going, Look, I am now the king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This isn't some empty throned kingdom. Jesus says, I am king. I have authority, and here is my command to those who are a part of my kingdom. Make disciples of all nations. Think about it. The disciples would have thought, okay, Jesus discipled us, and now he's telling us, go do likewise. How did Jesus disciple us? Well, he called us out into some difficult places. There had to be response. There had to be faith. There was love for other people. There was dependence on God. Our lives were completely transformed. Jesus didn't at any point in time just stop by and go, oh, who do you say that I am? You're the son of God. You died on the cross. Cool. See you guys later. There was this active following. They would have thought to that and gone, we need to call people to the same thing. Just as we literally walked away from our livelihoods to follow Jesus, now he's telling us, go get other people to do the same. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a recognition of the cross. Jesus is saying, and here's the starting point. People must, they must be with me in my death. Just as Jesus died, was in the grave for three days, and rose again, in baptism, we go, Jesus, I am dead to my old self. And when we come out of the water, we're saying, and I'm born new. I'm born again. I am now a new creation just like you died and rose, so the old me is dead and the new me has rose. He, he, again, not minimizing the cross, he says it's the starting point. That they would be baptized, that they would believe that they are sinners and that my death on the cross is the only thing sufficient. That's what baptism recognizes. But he doesn't say the end. Just baptize people, the end. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, it's not optional. When Jesus says, feed the poor, we don't get to go, eh, I don't like that one. When Jesus says, open your home to people, we don't get to go, eh, rather not, it's kind of awkward. Obey everything he has commanded you. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. None of us as citizens can look at the king and go, nah, it doesn't work. We, I've talked about this before. We live in a democracy, and so we, have a, we struggle with a kingdom mentality. We struggle with a king. We go, well, just wait a few years. He'll be out. The next person will vote in. And we can get on Twitter, and we can rail against whatever we want. In a kingdom, that don't cut it. Again, that's called treason. When the king speaks, his people obey. When the king commands, we respond. This is what it means to be a kingdom 
person. And the king has commanded us to go and make disciples. The king has commanded us to be ambassadors. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, to those following him. You are the light of the world. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. At one point, Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. And he was almost stoned to death for it. And then a few verses later, he looked at his people and he goes, now you are the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There is no optional words in there. There's no you could or maybe try or if it pleases you. Those are commands. Let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. You are an ambassador, an active participant in the kingdom or you are not in the kingdom. We as kingdom people must remain faithful. The writer of Hebrews writing to those who are followers of Jesus, some giving everything they have. He, this is, I'm going to read from you uh, the end of chapter 10. Chapter 11 starts the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews chronicles all of these men and women of history who gave everything to follow where the Lord was leading, who left what was comfortable, some who gave their lives and imprisonment and all of this stuff. And here's how he leads up to that. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Shrinking back is not an option. Starting the race and then sitting on the sideline disqualifies you. We don't get to, again, say, man, I prayed a prayer, and I, yeah, I started coming to church and reading my Bible, but then things got hard, so I just kind of stopped right there. We are not of those who shrink back and, and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. We are called to be faithful all the way to the end. There's no partial credit for this, guys. Jesus teaches uh, in a parable. It's not up on there. It's too long, so I'm just going to read it to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 36 to 46. He says, Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks on the door, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. He's saying the king will come and serve his servants who are found faithful. That should blow our minds. That Jesus will one day serve us who are found faithful should blow our minds. It will be good for those servants whom his master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. And I love Peter's response here. Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? 
Peter is essentially going, wait, but Jesus, we're good though, right? Like we've been faithful enough, right? We've done enough, right? You must be talking to everyone else that hasn't taken some steps on the journey, but like certainly we've gone far enough, right? And the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master put in charge of his servants to give them their food their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he is not aware of. And he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What if the master, like, what if the, the servant, excuse me, falls asleep at the wheel and just goes, This is taking too long. I'm just going to kind of give in and do what feels right. Jesus was making a point. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbeliever. The point was to evoke a very strong emotion. Whoa, Jesus, that's harsh. What kind of a master is this? One that expects faithfulness all the way to the end. Now hear me. I am not at any point in time saying there's this... It's not super prevalent now, but there's kind of a weird belief out there uh, in some Christian circles that every time I sin, I lose my salvation and then I have to like repent and get it back again. And so in those circles, if the master comes back while I'm in the middle of an inappropriate daydream, I'm sunk. If I'm driving down the street and there's a lady wearing what she shouldn't be wearing, jogging the other way, I look and jerk the wheel, run into a phone pole and die. There's something that go, oh, well, you died in sin. You, you weren't faithful the whole way. That's bunk. That is not true. That is not the grace of our Lord. But again, when I look at seasons of my life, when I look at, again, I'm just trying to take a snapshot of the last year, have I been asleep at the wheel? Have I begun to beat the other servants, treat people in a way that makes me feel good and I don't really care what they think, to eat and drink and get drunk and just, again, whatever, whatever makes me feel good, whatever comes along, don't get me wrong, like, I'll still come to church, I still read my Bible, but when it comes to following the commands of my master, eh, what are the odds he really comes back tomorrow anyway, right? That is a dangerous place to be. We must remain faithful until the end. And here's the final point. We have to remember that eternities hang in the balance. Mine and every single person that God has placed in my sphere of influence. Their eternity hangs in the balance because for all I know, I might be the only Jesus they ever meet. I might be the only God put on flesh they ever see. We live in America and we think everyone's heard the gospel. Everyone who has a TV is flipped by that channel. They all know. They don't. Eternities hang in the balance. God didn't just write it in the sky so that no one could deny it. He sent us. 
to live it out before people and to proclaim the message. And if we don't do it, people will die and spend eternity in hell. There's a, a quick passage I'll read from a book called Letters to the Church uh, by Francis Chan. And I read this the other day and it just it hit me between the eyes. He said, you're going to see God soon. There's no way I can exaggerate how overwhelmed you will be. The most tragic mistake you can make on this earth is to underestimate how vulnerable you will feel when you see his face. And the wisest decisions you will make in life will be the ones you make with that final moment in mind. It brings me to tears. There are times in my prayer where I just try to imagine standing before Almighty God and hearing the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. It brings me to tears every single time. You want to reevaluate your life. Spend some time just sitting and going, what would that day even be like? Is my life worthy of it? And here's the thing. I'm not saying we have to be perfect or else. Am I striving to become like him? Am I striving to make him known? Am I striving to live the same kind of life that he lived on earth? To usher in his kingdom, to see it become real all around me. If that's my heart, then I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If not, we're in dangerous, dangerous waters. I leave you with this, church. Every day at, at 10.02, I've shared this with some of you before, I pray Luke 10.2. I have an alarm that goes off on my watch at 10.02 every single day and reminds me to pray Luke 10.2 which I'm going to read by way of closing because this is the whole thrust of the message today. This is my prayer for each and every one of you and honestly for myself. Jesus speaking, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That's us. And if we don't do it, the fields won't get harvested. Would you be willing to take steps of faith to see his kingdom come on earth and to go out into the harvest field with me? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I don't want to play the who's in and who's out game. Uh, it is not about what I think. Lord Jesus, it is about our faithfulness to you. This is something we all need to bring and lay at your feet. Am I willing to be obedient to the king wherever he may lead? Am I willing to let my light shine before all men? Am I willing to boldly go out into the harvest field to do the work my king has asked me to do? God, if not... I am so thankful that you don't just leave us and go, well, tough. You want to walk with us even then. You want to begin to show us the benefits of walking with you. You want to begin to show us the dangers of walking apart from you. You are constantly calling us back to take part in your kingdom. 
to experience new creation, transformation, and to be ambassadors for the king. Would you do this work in our heart, God? If there are any here who have found themselves thinking, yeah, no, believing in the cross is enough and I'm good, and maybe they heard something for the first time today, Lord, would you just continue to walk with them? Lord, if there are those who have lost faith and who have slid back and went, this is too hard, this costs too much, would you make your presence known to them? Would you walk with them? And Lord, if there are those who are taking every step they know how, there are those who seek to advance your kingdom, there are those who seek to be good members of the kingdom, would you encourage their heart with the steps that they take? Would you draw them deeper into your presence and make your kingdom more fully known in them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.